We're moving through the book of Exodus, and uh, we just got out of chapter 20. We're just passing the halfway mark, and we're getting into uh, the section of Exodus that is a little bit harder to do your questions in. Uh, you know, the plagues are fun, uh, you know, uh, manna in the wilderness is cool, water spewing out of a rock, that's really cool, There's, that's, that'll really preach, you know. But even this past weekend, I just mentioned like, a couple pastors asked me, what are you preaching on? I'm like, oh, Exodus. And they're like, oh, and they immediately started with the jokes. You're going to preach these weird laws that, you know, toward the end? Yeah, man, we're preaching through it, you know. Uh, we don't know what to do with the laws. As soon as we get to the laws, like if you're doing your devotional time, you're, you're cranking through it, and, and you get to Exodus 21 and, and following, even at the end of 20, right, how to make an altar, don't use these kind of rocks, that kind of stuff. Um, it's, it, what do we do with that? It, it doesn't seem to really relate to modern day life. There's at least three things that we do with it that we shouldn't. And the first one is we kind of skip it. You know, maybe you don't intentionally skip it. You just bang through it so you can check that box in your reading plan. But, but you're just kind of skimming it. You're like, yeah, yeah, when an ox falls in a pit, uh-huh, uh-huh. What am I going to do with that, an ox in a pit? I don't know an ox. Why is it in a pit? <laughs> I don't even know what's going on here. All right? Um, what to do with your slaves? Well, we're way past that, you know? That we're, we're not in that right now here in our society. We, so we kind of skim it, and we don't think applicationally about it. Another thing we do with laws is we cherry pick them. You know, we'll pull a law out on tattoos quick. Bow! You can't have tattoos, but what's the next one about beards and not shaving them? Well, we pick the ones we want to follow, and we don't pick the ones that we don't want to follow. What do we do with them? Do we take all of them and live them all out exactly? Or do we take all of them and, and, and put them in a closet marked no longer relevant? So we skip them or we cherry pick the ones we want or a little bit more involved. Maybe you've heard these categories before, but we divide them to help us out. Three typical divisions, the ceremonial laws, the civil laws, and the moral laws. So we say, well, the moral laws don't kill anybody, you know, don't commit adultery, don't covet. That's, that's a moral thing. That's not about a society or if you're living in a theocracy or, or anything like that. That's just normal, everyday life. Just, you know, don't covet stuff. Don't covet people. Those are the moral laws. So we definitely got to keep those. But then some of them are civil laws, like what to do with an ox or build a little fence around your top of your house so people don't fall off. And are you in trouble with God if we don't have a fence on top of your roof? Well, no, because they lived in a society back then where people hung out on rooftops and they grilled and, you know, you don't want people falling off and you want to protect your neighbor. So we don't live in that place anymore. Those are civil laws and we don't do those anymore. And then there's ceremonial laws, uh, what to wear, the dimensions of the tabernacle and uh, what kind of cloth to use and what the ark should look like and your procedure of washing hands before you approach the holy place. I mean, we're not doing that anymore. And so those are ceremonial laws. We're not sacrificing animals anymore, right? So we're not doing the ceremonial laws anymore. So those can go in the closet marked no longer relevant. And the civil laws can go in the closet probably not that relevant. But then the moral laws, obviously those are relevant. The problem with that is this little verse that Paul writes to Timothy when he tells them all Scripture is profitable. All Scripture is profitable. And it's... It's to equip us. How does it equip us? It trains us. It corrects us. It teaches us, right? 
So if all of Scripture is that, then we can't take any Scripture and stuff it in a closet marked no longer relevant. It is relevant. They may not all be relevant in the same way, but they are relevant. So we don't want to jump into Exodus 21, 22, and 23. We're not going to read every single verse of those three chapters, but we're going to look at a lot of it. And we don't want to skip it. We don't want to just pick the ones we like. We want to ask ourselves, how does this teach us to live today because it's profitable for our instruction? You ready? All right, Exodus 21. <coughs> Exodus is the second book of the Bible. If this is your first time or, you know, you're kind of new at getting around in, in the Word. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, you can slip your hand up. We'll, we'll bring you. You don't own one. You don't have one. We can bring you one if you slip your hand up. But uh, Exodus, and we're in chapter 21. We just got out of the Ten Commandments. That, those are God's laws. These are His overarching laws. And then now he's just specific. we're just getting into specifics of how we about those Ten Commandments. And that begins in chapter 21, and it goes through to about halfway of chapter 23. Okay, Now, I'm just going to give a real quick bird's eye view to show you that these laws are about how to live life. He wanted to make sure that they're able to live in community together, and so he's giving them to live an obedient life toward God. Now, some of these might strike you as immediately relevant. Some of them might make you scratch your head and go, I don't really get how, what that has to do with me. That's okay, we're going to rewind and we're going to go back and, and unpack them briefly. Some of them a little, it'll take a little bit longer than others. That's okay. But real quick, you got right at the top of chapter 21, the first 11 verses are about slavery laws. How to have a slave, what to do with a slave, when to let a slave go, what happens if, oops, I hit a slave, okay? And then you got death penalty laws in 12 to 17. Chapter 21, 12 to 17 are things that you commit, crimes that you commit that you're not going to get thrown in jail, you're not going to get, you don't have to pay somebody back, you just need to be dead now. Death penalty laws. And then there's laws about uh, assault. Two guys are in a fight, they're punching each other, let's say, what do you do? One guy is mad at the other guy, he starts beating him, what do you do with that? That's the last uh, 18 to 27 in, verse, in chapter 21. Then you got the ox laws. I, I know for the, like, the past three sermons I've been cracking on the, lo- the ox laws, but here they are, right? Chapter 21, 28 to 36. That's a nice chunk of what to do with oxen. What happens if your ox kills somebody else? What happens if your ox gores somebody else? That kind of stuff. And then there's laws of theft, chapter 22. The first 15 verses in chapter 22. What happens if somebody climbs in your house and steals stuff and then you catch them? What are you supposed to do? What if in the in catching them, you kill them. Are you in trouble now? That kind of thing. A couple of verses, chapter 22, 16 and 17 on sex and marriage. Chapter 22, 18 to 20, stuff about idolatry. What do you do with sorcerers? What do you do with people uh, worshiping uh, other gods? Or trying to introduce foreign worship into uh, Yahweh worship? And then 21 to 27, same chapter, chapter 22, 21 to 27, what do you do with the needy? Press the people that have got a bunch of stuff, and then there's people that don't have a bunch of stuff. What do you do? Just look down on them? What do you do? Favor them over other people that have stuff? Neither. And then chapter 22, 
28 to 31, to the last three verses of chapter 22. Not taking God in vain, not cursing God, don't curse leaders that are over you, that kind of stuff. And then the first three verses of 23, don't follow the crowd because everyone else is saying that this guy's guilty, and you, but you know he's innocent. Don't follow the crowd. You speak the truth even if you're the minority, right? And then verses 4 through 9, the resurgence of the ox, right? Chapter 23, 4 through 9, what do you do when you see someone's ox, that person hates you, that person's your enemy, but you see their ox stuck in a pit? What do you do with it? So these are kind of things that are specifying the Ten Commandments, and it gets real specific, a guy breaks into your house, you catch him stealing, he puts up a fight, you punch him, he hits his head on the table, he's dead. What do you do? Do you go to jail? You kill the guy. Thou shalt not kill. And at the top it says, I get the death penalty for killing a guy. Yeah, but he was breaking into your house and trying to stop And that's how the altercation happened, so you're off the hook. See, it gets real specific. So you remember when Moses father-in-law told him, Moses, you can't judge all these cases by yourself. You need to get guys that can judge the medium cases and then guys that can, under them, judge the small cases, guys over the medium guys that judge the big cases, and then you just, carry, you just judge the ones that everyone can't figure it out. The wisest among them can't figure it out, and only those go to you. You remember that, okay? It's not a pyramid scheme. It's Moses getting help, right, to judge cases. Now, in individual cases... The Ten Commandments are kind of broad. Don't covet. What does that mean? Well, it means if you covet it so much that you break into a guy's house, he can kill you, and he doesn't get the death penalty for it. Don't covet his stuff. Right? So it's specifying what the Ten Commandments look like in real life. It's where the rubber meets the road. Okay? Now, the problem with that, the problem with it is that God can never, Exodus can't be long enough, to specify every single situation. What if he breaks into my house and he's stealing stuff, but it's actually something I borrowed and I never gave his, but it's in my house. He shouldn't have broken my window, so I killed him. And what do you do with that one? What do you do if his ox isn't stuck in a pit, but his donkey was stuck in a pit? What happens then? Right? And so it can't be long enough to specify every scenario. It can't spell out every single uh, possibility. So that presents an issue. I'm reading a book called uh, The Gospel and Parenting by Timothy Paul Jones. Well, he's, he was one of the contributors. And in his section, Timothy Paul Jones, he talks about when he first took his uh, eldest daughter to first grade at a Montessori school. And he was nervous because he knew she liked to beat the snot out of kids. Okay? She'd get into fights, and he'd always get calls about some kid being hurt and the hurt for her, right? So he made her a list of rules. No kicking, no punching, no biting, no hitting. He gets a call from the school administrator. Your daughter just got into a fight, and she has something she wants to say to you. Puts his daughter on the phone. And the daughter gets on the phone, and he's like, hey, what's going on? You got into a fight? She said, Daddy, you never said anything about twisting someone's arm. Right? So he realized the, a list isn't good enough. It's not that he shouldn't have a list. It's that a list isn't good enough to understand the underlying principle 
that produces the list. Stand is neighbor. And loving your neighbor is not going to constitute hitting, kicking, arm twisting, scratching. You can keep filling in the blanks, honey. But it's unloving to act in those ways. So instead of a million item document, he's got some examples on there, but he needs to teach her the underlying principle so that she can understand what the examples are getting at. So what do we have here? We have the two tables of the Ten Commandments. The first table are Godward commandments, right? How to love God. You don't take his name in vain. You don't worship anybody else. You don't have anyone else before him, and you respect his holy day. And then you have the next six laws, which are horizontal in nature. Here's how you love your neighbor. The first neighbors you're going to love are your parents. You're going to obey them. But you're not going to covet your neighbor. You're not going to kill your neighbor. You're not going to steal stuff. You're not going to bear false witness against them. See, these are how you love your neighbor, but they only work if you love God first. First, love neighbor second, but it's that neighbor love. That's why Jesus said when he was asked, what are the greatest laws? And he said, well, there's two. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. All the law hangs on those two, Jesus said. So as we read these laws, some of them weird, what to do when a guy breaks in your house, what do you do when an ox is stuck in a pit, we're thinking in our minds, we're supposed to be thinking, these are examples of how to love my neighbor. We're not supposed to ask, well, you say anything about his dog being stuck in a pit, you only said ox, so I let that dog drown in that mud, man. right? You're missing the point of the Ten Commandments, which would be missing the point of the Two Commandments, which is to love God and love neighbor. These are just examples to help you. Now, we would be tempted to say, well, if it's just love and all we need is love, then we don't need the laws. We can do that option that you talked about, Pastor Lucas, and skip them. Let's just stick them in that back closet. Mark, no longer necessary because we just, it's all about love now. The problem with that is you and I have a really hard time understanding what love looks like without examples. We'll make up our own definitions of love. Our nation already is redefining marriage as long as they love each other. The problem is you read Scripture, and Scripture is saying loud and clear, it's not love. A man and a man and a woman and a woman, a man with a beast, a man with a child, a woman with a child, a woman with a beast, that's not love. A man with a robot, I mean, I'm scared. (laughs) I'm scared where we're going with all this. But the world wants to say, look, as long as love is there, love is the the all-covering component that just makes everything all good. And the Bible is saying, yes, love is that, but not your definition of it, God's definition of it. And we have a hard time, we have a hard time understanding God's parameters for what love looks like. Therefore, we need the underlying principle, love neighbor. That needs to be the undergirding principle and how we understand all the examples. But we need examples. Otherwise, we'll create our own little compartments of what love is, and then we'll compromise it on the edges. Right? So I want to go back. Let's start at the top, and we're going to unpack some of these. We'll do real brief. I'm not going to cover every single verse. We're going to cover these categories. What does love look like when we're living in obedience to God in community? So the slavery laws are at the top of chapter 21. 
And one thing that's really interesting to notice, he starts right off the bat with slavery laws. Right? Why does he do that? As I was reading, one commentator said the reason why he starts off with this is because of their recent bondage. They were just slaves. So you might ask yourself, why in the world would people just suffer to slaves? Even slaves. Well, first of all, because they're hard-hearted and stubborn. Second, because it was a different kind of slavery. This was like uh, somebody owes you, but they can't pay you. They can work it off through slavery. It's, it's more of a servanthood that we're not thinking of a boat with, with, with people in shackles and then being brought over and they're not human and you can do anything you want to them. And no, 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 no. And God wants to prevent the people of Israel from even going that route. And so he puts laws in place. You'll have a slave for six years and on the seventh year he goes free. But he's not done paying it off. doesn't matter. You will not have a slave past six years. That's radically different from what they experienced in Egypt. And this is God telling them, you will not be Egypt. You will not act like Egypt. You will not behave like Egypt. If somebody has to enter into an indentured service to you as a slave or a servant, pay off what they owe and they don't have money, then you're going to provide that for them. But then at six years, you're letting them go. And I love how in verse 2, if you look at uh, verse 2 of chapter 21, he says, He shall serve six years, and in the seventh year he shall go out free for nothing. Well, okay, but then you've got to come back next year. Or, or hey, but, but you're going to owe me this. You remember when Pharaoh was trying to let the people go, but you go here, but don't go far. How about take the men, but leave your children? Or take this, but leave your cattle? That kind of stuff. And he's saying, you will not be Pharaoh to people. You let them go for free for nothing. So that's a radically different concept of slavery for them, and he's basically telling them, telling them that you're going to love your neighbor even if he doesn't have the same rights as you. You're not going to wield your rights over a person who doesn't have as many rights as you and doesn't have as many things as you. You're not going to play the game of, now wait a minute, he got himself in this situation. My great-grandfather was a slave, and he worked himself out of it. He didn't get free, scot-free on the sixth year. He worked for 15 years straight until he could barely walk anymore, but he did it. And now these days we have these lazy bum slaves that have six years, and they get to let him go. Get out of here with that mean edge. God's saying, no, 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 we've got to stamp that out. So people come into your life that have needs, and maybe they didn't come into your life the right way. They've got things that they've got to square away with God. That's okay. But you're not going to treat them like second-class citizens. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not getting into the politics of our country and what our country does with immigrants and things like that. I'm talking about you when someone shows up at your barbecue or your picnic or moves into the, your street and lives next door. Don't use politics to not love them. Death penalty, chapter 21, 12 to 17. First part, it's pretty obvious. If you kill somebody, you need to be killed. That's back in Genesis. He's not, this is not new. This is right, right off the boat, right off the ark. God says, hey, by the way, man is created in God's image, and if somebody kills that image, they should be killed. You don't kill my image. So this is repeated here, but then you'll see a, something extra, a little something more. 
when he says that if children attack their parents or curse their parents, they need to be put to death. What? Look at verse 17. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. Now I understand that I should probably make a couple of clarifications here. One is that by attacking a parent, the Hebrew verb there, uh, it's not like a slap or an elbow or a push. It's aggressive assault. In some cases, that same verb is used for killing, which is not what it means here, but it's an aggressive attack. And then verse 17, cursing the mother and father is not just, you know, I'll go to blank, you know. It's, it's an outright, I wish you weren't my parents, I wish you were dead. One commentator said it's, it's like standing up in the community and denouncing your parents that, that you, were com- you wish they were completely, totally dead and out of your life, you want nothing to do with them, cursing your parents in that way. But still, as a society that hands trophies and awards to every kid, here's your award for wearing jeans today, and here's your trophy for being a child, you know. Oh, you flipped the teacher's desk and she's so scared of you. Here's an award, right? We give trophies and compliments where training and correction is needed. So in the society we live in, we look at something like this and we're going, what in the Now, God is trying to save this society, community, from utterly destroying themselves. This is why a man can't be an elder in the church if his kids are wild. His children need to be faithful in the home for him to be qualified as an elder in the church. He could be an expert in theology. His wife can the community can love him. He could be the most generous man you ever saw. But his children don't obey And if his children act like that, his leadership is going to pour into the church, and now the church is going to act like that, and a church can't act like that. That's traced all the way back to Exodus. Now, I need to make this point. This is not the bare minimum. As long as you don't curse your parents or attack them real viciously, you're all good. This is is what constitutes a death penalty. But before that is the, the commandment, right? In the Ten Commandments, it says, honor your mother and father. This is the first commandment with a promise. You want it to go well with you in the land? You want it to go okay with you as you go into the wilderness, through the wilderness, and into the promised land? You want it to go well? Then honor your parents. Dishonor your parents, it won't go well. So, moms and dads, dads especially, we need to take the reins and train our children to live in a way that they're not on the path to, in God's eyes, being an obliterator of community. We teach our children to love their neighbors, and we teach our children first neighbors are mom and dad. Don't put your friends over mom and dad. Don't disrespect mom and dad and then respect your friends. Mom and dad get first respect, first honor, first love. Everybody else is second, third, fourth, and further. And you'll notice that he doesn't say only good moms and dads, only moms and dads that pass your test of what a good mom and dad should be. They're your mom and dad. Maybe there's some of us in here you haven't talked to your dad in many years because he's a jerk. Pick up the phone. Today's a good day to do it. You don't do it because of their 
goodness and merit. You do it because that's your dad. And we honor them first as our first neighbor. That's not something to stick in a closet. We all have moms and dads. That's universal. God knows that the destruction of a society is the destruction of the family. And the first way to destroy a family is disruption between children and parents. So we love our neighbors. We love our parents. We honor them. He talks about assault in chapter 21, 18 to 27. And this is where you get the eye for eye, tooth for tooth, right? 23 to 25. He says, this is so much to go into, but he's saying a pregnant woman is hit. What happens if, you, if two guys are fighting and they accidentally hit, they bump into a pregnant woman and, and, and the, the baby is lost or she's hurt. Verse 23, if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Now, what God is not saying is, if somebody took your eye, you need to make sure you take their eye, man. What he's doing is he's limiting vengeance. You know, so people don't turn mafia. He took my eye, I'm taking his whole head. He took my car, I'm taking his house. Right? He slapped my kid, I'm killing his kid. It's, it's one-upping so that you can be the dominant person on top. And God's saying, we're not doing that. They took an eye, you take an eye, it's over. The second thing to notice about this is this is for courts. This isn't for personal vendettas. This is for a court situation. It comes to Moses or one of the judges, and they're trying to figure out, okay, this guy, what does this guy owe? Well, what did he take? Simple math. Don't double it on him. If he took an eye, you do an eye. Right? So he's limiting wrath, and he's limiting vengeance and revenge. He's limiting it. Don't overdo it. Just make it even. But you remember Jesus? He said, you heard, it, you heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, love your neighbor. Go the extra mile. They take something. Give them your, your tunic as well, right? What Jesus is saying is don't use court decisions to exact vengeance on a personal level. Just let it go, man. It's better to love them. Jesus is trying to get to that underlying principle of love because the Pharisees were hanging out at this level of, you know, waiting, looking for somebody to take, take his eye out, man. If you took something from me, I'm going to take it from you, you know. He's like, don't, don't do that. That's for the courts, to help courts decide between two parties. But, but don't, don't, don't live like that because the point of it is to love your neighbor. And this is a loving act of God to, to keep it from being overblown vengeance and people, someone killing a guy just because he stepped on his foot. Then you have verse 28 to 36. Your ox gores somebody else. Your family hurts somebody else. Well, then you kill that animal. (laughs) Again, just the extreme practicality of this, okay? You go to your cousin's house and your cousin owns a crazy cat. I'm making this up. But I'm just trying to make it relevant to today, okay? You, you, your cousin owns a crazy cat. And she's a cat lover. Which is okay, that's fine. But we know what you mean by cat lovers. <laughs> it's overboard. It's overboard because this crazy cat likes to scratch people right in the face, man. Just rawr, scratching, and then what do they do? Oh, it's fluffy. He normally doesn't do that. There's like five litigations against her in court, you know, because of this <laughs> stupid cat. And I did just love cats, you know, whatever. It's a, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But then doesn't put it away, doesn't put it in a cage. 
because I want to respect that cat. What about these people with missing eyes and the face hanging off? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, he normally isn't like that. He probably smelled something funny. Huh? Right? Elevating the cat over people. God's saying, that's not loving neighbor. But I need that ox. It killed a person. But I need, I can't I don't even know how to feed my family if I kill this ox. It killed a human being made in my image. Don't, don't take that ox's value and put it over the value of someone made in my image. So, discipline your cats. And your dogs, especially. Uh, I, I could go another 10 minutes on dogs and cats, but <laughs> you guys know I love animals. Don't put them ahead of your neighbor. Your, your, your friend is coming over, he's allergic, put the dog away, man. Love neighbor over your pets. Theft in chapter 22, verse 15 verses. Look at verse 6, chapter 22, verse 6. This is interesting, okay? This is about, you know, not just neighbors breaking in your house and stealing stuff, that you do that cause loss to someone else, okay? In verse 6, somebody starts a fire. Maybe they're making a fire. They're trying to grill some hot dogs. You don't know what they're doing. All beef hot dogs in this case, okay? What happens is one of the embers catches fire on a bush. That bush catches fire on the, on the forest or whatever, the plain, the field, the yard, and it burns someone else's property. So verse 6, if fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. It doesn't say anything there about being an arson. It doesn't say anything there about intentionally starting the fire. So someone there can't say, I didn't start the fire on purpose. It just, the wind took the, the, wind took the embers. You should have had the fire pit covered, my friend. You should have built higher walls. You should have put water next to the grain. You should have done something because now that guy can't feed his family. And so you still need to make payment. This is a common thing repeated throughout the Old Testament where God doesn't let you off the hook just because you didn't mean it. Now, sometimes the punishment is different in the case of murder. If the murder wasn't premeditated, you don't get the death penalty. You get put away in a camp. But in something like this, you started a fire. You're responsible for making sure that fire doesn't do what it's supposed to do, and you're the reason why someone else's property got ruined. So even if it's not your fault in terms of premeditating it, you should be the first one to say, you know what? That wouldn't have happened if it weren't for something I did. Let me pay for that. That, that should be the Christian response. Not, well, he shouldn't have parked it there. What dummy parts a car there? I didn't know it was behind me. That person can't drive to work now because of you. Even though you didn't mean it, make full restitution. See, it's practical. It's, it's, it's life, what it looks like in real life. Verse 16 and 17 of chapter 22. We're going to kind of fly through some of these. You'll notice in uh, 16 and 17, if a man has sex with a woman that's not his wife, he must marry her. That's a different standard of what we see today. If we thought we were going to be real holy, we'll say if a man has sex with a woman and impregnates her, he owes her marriage. Nothing about pregnancy. It's the sanctity of sex itself that needs to be protected. And so we have a culture where you can sleep around and, and whatever, 
Oops, pregnancy, that's the oops. No, the oops was sex the first time. Pregnancy, now that's an oops to you because now, you're, you know, people are going to see. People are going to know. It's obvious. But as long as the sex part is secret, well, then who cares? With her, with her, the next person. Saying, no, no, you can't hop around like that. Sex is for marriage, so if you have the sex, then marry. And this is how you love your neighbor. So, a guy gets you alone, single girl, and he convinces you that he loves you, and because he loves you, we should have sex. He does not love you. Even if he thinks he does, that's world standards. He doesn't love you this way. Because God is saying, to love your neighbor, you're going to protect her. And if you're not her husband, you're going to keep your hands off. That's love. Idolatry, 18 to 20, chapter 22, 18 to 20. You know, if you find a sorcerer trying to get people to communicate with demons or other spirits instead of getting their communication from God, the word of God is not enough. They want to try to get spirits or ancestors and stuff like that. You need to kill that person. How's that relevant today? Have you ever had a Christian friend on Facebook, a Christian friend, and they said, oh, I got my palm reading today. God is very jealous of how you get your information and where you get wisdom from. Don't check the horoscopes. Read the word. How's that not loving your neighbor? Because you're encouraging other people to seek wisdom outside of God's word. Don't do it. So the sorcerer had to be killed so that would stop spreading in a community. Not taking God's name in vain, verses 28 to 31 of chapter 22. Don't curse God and don't curse the leaders over you. So we don't say... As long as I don't curse God, I can say whatever I want about a pastor, an elder, my boss, a president. Nope. You're careful what you say because leaders are over us, appointed by God. Government, church, and home. So we love each other in community that way to keep our community intact. Two more. Verse 3 verses of chapter 23. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Even if the whole crowd is doing it, don't follow the crowd. And then finally, four, four through nine, chapter 23, four through nine. My favorite, your enemy's ox is stuck in a pit, but the owner of that ox is a real jerk. He hates you. He's done things against you in the past. And here it is, here's his animal stuck in a pit. It can't get out. You rescue it. You rescue it. He makes that real clear. Uh, when he says, I want to read it, chapter 23, 4 through 9. Uh, when he talks about relieving the ox of being stuck, the ox that has gone astray, you're going to rescue it, verse 4, and you bring it back to him. Who's your, that's your enemy's ox, beginning of verse 4. And then verse 5, if you see the donkey, remember, what if it's a donkey and not an ox? He's, he's got you. If you see the donkey of the one who hates you, rescue it. So he gives two examples in case someone wants to go down that path. What if it's another animal, a different kind of animal? The ox, the donkey, the dog, the cat, it doesn't matter. The point is this person hates you and you want to get back at them by not rescuing this animal and you're not allowed to do that. So Jesus says, love your enemies. Is that new? We like to think Jesus took the Old Testament and chucked it in the irrelevant closet and came up with something new. You know what? Love your enemies. 
No, he's just helping us understand what the law was always saying, which was love your neighbor in all these different ways. So, we need laws because they help define love for us. They help us understand what love looks like. They're examples. As we read through the Old Testament, we get example after example of what it looks like in real life to love your neighbor. And it's hard work, guys. It is hard work. You get an opportunity to get back at someone that's hurt you. It's so hard not to take that opportunity. You don't take it. Because we're called to love our neighbor. And we can only do that because God loved us first. Remember 1 John 4, 19? We love because he first loved us. That's the gospel. The advantage we have that these Old Testament saints didn't have is that because of our unity in Christ... We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, and we're empowered to love in a way that they weren't empowered to love. But the standard isn't lower, the standard is higher. We understand that underlying principle of love. Some of us in here have enemies that we've been trying to get back at. Don't do it. We love movies about the, the vengeance at the end, and it, it, we think it's going to feel good, and about vengeance that's the lord's department and we love in the difficult ways difficult parents we honor them right is it difficult to restrain yourself before marriage sure don't put yourself in situations where it's too tempting and love each other enough to honor what marriage is supposed to be someone's stolen from you go don't kill them. Don't demand your tooth back or your eye. Go the extra mile and love your neighbor. Let's pray.